I have one doctor come up and go, did she really just get let go for that? Because here's what I did in my office and nobody even blinked. And I've had at least three or four different physicians from the OB department come up and tell me it's impossible that they're letting her go just for that. I'm here today with you guys to try and raise awareness about the fact that something is going on against midwives, against birthing centers, and against choice for women. I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board-certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth Podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. I'm Kathy Parisi. I am the uh, midwifery and clinical director at the Connecticut Childbirth and Women's Center in Danbury, Connecticut. I have been a midwife for 27 plus years. Um, I started off working at Yale for a couple of years as a midwife in a large practice, and then got the invitation to come and join the opening of the Connecticut Childbirth and Women's Center in 1997. Um, I have been the director there since 1999 and have seen a lot of stuff happen over the years. Um, When I first joined in 97, um, I received clinical privileges at Danbury Hospital and as a, as a historical thing, I actually was born in Danbury Hospital. I'm from Danbury. I worked there for nine years as a labor and delivery nurse in both the unit and as a manager of um, the evening and night shifts. So I have a very long um, history at Danbury Hospital. I'm here today with you guys um, to try and raise awareness about the fact that something is going on against midwives against birthing centers and against choice for women um, who want to do anything other than enter a hospital and be told what their their non-choices are. Um, I have not had that experience really at Danbury Hospital, to be honest. Um, I have enjoyed very much along with my colleagues doing deliveries at Danbury. I find the physicians, the nursing staff, the supportive staff are, are quite wonderful. Um, But the administration in the last couple of years, as the new Vance Health System has taken over, has has started what I feel is a campaign against my midwifery practice. I can't prove it, um, but there's something going on. We lost a midwife last year for uh, a similar circumstance. Stephanie um, was one of my midwives and she she was uh, investigated and... um, in the end told you can have your privileges reinstated, but you have to go through six months of this, this remediation. She finished the remediation and basically said, bye, I can't stand here with this kind of um, uh, culture. Uh, We thought that was kind of a blip. Go ahead. If you have anything to interrupt. Yeah. I mean, so she went through the remediation so she could leave in good standing, but she knew it was all a bunch of nonsense. And we did too. Are you, it sounds like I've heard a lot of stories about this lately. It's been extremely disturbing and it's been very clear. The more details that are given in each instance of people reporting these investigations that they're, they're, as you said, a campaign and they're under some kind of false pretenses, like these bogus pretenses of often professionals who've been doing what they've been doing without a single complaint for many years. And suddenly there's this force coming down on them and clearly 
you've seen that happening. Are you willing to give the details of what the so-called investigation was against her? Um, the Stephanie investigation, I'm not at liberty to talk about. There's uh, some ongoing stuff. I can certainly talk more about what's going on now with this um, this current midwife. Um, if you're ready for that story, I'm, I'm certainly Yes, happy. anything you can share is helpful. Yep. So in April, one of my midwives saw an 18-week um, pregnant lady for a routine visit. She had no complaints other than a mild headache, which is fairly common in your second trimester. And the midwife took the patient into the room and had a difficult time finding heart tones with her Doppler. She heard some scratchy uh, heart tones, but wanted to make sure that she really had heart tones. So she brought the ultrasound in, um, which we have on our unit as in our, in our office, as much as uh, most physicians and midwives do for point of care testing. And she ultrasounded the patient, was sure she counted heart tones at 150 to 160 beats a minute, saw fetal movement, reassured herself and thought she reassured the patient and the patient left. Um, the patient called the next day and said, I'm still not feeling this baby moving around. Um, I need some more reassurance. And so I invited her back in. I happened to be on call and the patient came back in and I put an ultrasound on because I could not find heart tones. And unfortunately for this family, the baby had expired. The concern that I have um, relates to the fact that this patient made a complaint to the hospital that she felt the midwife was acting outside of her scope of care, which is not true. And the hospital decided then to investigate this particular incident that happened in my office, not an incident that happened inside the hospital, had nothing to do with the hospital, and started their investigation. We also did a peer review and found that there was no fault. This is a pre-viable gestation. And I don't mean it's any less heartbreaking for this woman and her family, but there was nothing this midwife could have done. Even if she was wrong and she miscounted heart tones or didn't see heart tones in movement, she could never have fixed the problem. Um, you have a question, Tricia? Just uh, how could she have been accused of practicing outside of her scope of care, finding heart tones? That's her job. I do not have any idea. And as a matter of fact, the American College of Nurse Midwives does include um, point of care ultrasound in their standards for midwifery care. And you've been doing that for, for how me, many years? Seven years, this yeah. midwife for 20 years. Um, it, it's part of what everybody does. Um, part of the investigation, I'll jump forward a little bit, focused on the fact that they told this midwife that she was operating outside the standard of her license, which is not true, that she is not credentialed or certified in ultrasound. And the retort is neither are most of the obstetricians who are currently operating out of Danbury Hospital or any hospital. You learn from doing. I'm not talking about doing an anatomy scan, um, you know, figuring out is there a discrepancy in a twin to twin gestation, that sort of thing. This is point of care. Is the baby head up, head down? How far along is the pregnancy? Um, are there heart tones, that sort of thing? And had she not actually done the ultrasound and maybe the baby did have heart tones the day before, and maybe something happened overnight. That's very possible that, you know, the next it. day, of course that, and had she not done that, she would have been accused of negligent care for not checking yeah. with an ultrasound. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Do the midwives work for the hospital? And if so, what power or recourse do they have if something like this is happening? So it's because really you were saying they're allowed to do what they're being accused of not they're they're saying you weren't allowed to do this they are allowed to do this 
I just did an ultrasound in the hospital today. Well, you, of course you can do this. And, and you just said that they, all the authorities would agree on this if they were to look at all the information. What recourse is there? And, and do you guys work for the hospital technically? They, they pay the paycheck. Is that the issue? The first no, issue? Absolutely not. We're actually a private facility. We are a midwifery practice, just like an OB practice, not employed by the hospital. We credential at the hospital, so we have privileges there. And there are a set of bylaws that allow hospitals almost a monopoly over what they are um, allowing themselves to do with their medical executive committee. They can take privileges away, basically at whim, obviously, because this is, it, it's, I'm, I'm just to this day, it's been April, two months, and I am still flabbergasted that this woman um, is at risk of losing her privileges permanently. So the recourse at this point is um, we have hired an attorney. We uh, do have counsel and this attorney is um, going to try and defend this midwife. Um, and I'm not really sure uh, with the board of directors or with the medical executive committee, but try to defend her and get them to reverse their decision. The problem we have right now is that I had one midwife resign. Uh, she retired. I have another midwife whose last day is this week because quite frankly, in Fairfield County, she can't find a house to buy in her price range. Um, I have this other midwife who is accused of performing outside her scope. She can't provide care at the hospital for the last two months. So we've been covering her. I'm left with three midwives. I can't operate at the hospital and at the birth center with three midwives. Our practice is way too busy. And it's heartbreaking to me that I'm hoping this is only for the short term, but we have notified patients um, that we will not be doing deliveries in the hospital voluntarily, the rest of us, after July 1st. Uh, and I, I'm just, I, patients are angry, patients are sad, and I am too. I'm, I don't even know what to say, to not be able to you know, provide the care. I had a woman on Saturday who came into labor. I came in extra to cover because there were too many people in labor. And we do that for each other, which is, you know, to provide a woman with care. And it was her second baby. And she um, had decelerations in the birth center, baby's heart tones. I rushed her to the hospital. And if I didn't have my privileges after July 1st, I would have packed her in an ambulance and said, see you later. And instead we went to the hospital, got a baby out with thick meconium and decelerations and, but a vaginal delivery, but she would have not had that midwife care. And after July 1st, she won't for at least a short time. Um, it, it's, it's just making me insane. It really is for both my patients and for us. But there's also a little more to the story. If you want to hear just a little more. Absolutely. Um, this midwife had her hearing in front of the medical executive committee on, I believe it was the, um, the third Tuesday of May. Prior to that meeting, there was on Monday, a department of OBGYN business meeting. I'm part of the medical staff, so are the other midwives. And we attend these meetings because it relates to the department. And it's a Zoom meeting like we're having now. And um, the department chair had a very short presentation. And the short presentation was to all these 25, 30 people who were there to say that um, the department was going to do a voluntary audit with ACOG. It's actually a really good thing. You have an audit, an audit, you ask for an audit to come in, you pay them, I don't know how much money, and they come in and look at your statistics. They talk to people on the unit. What can we do better? What are we doing good? I've participated many times in the past. It's really a very productive uh, meeting. 
Um, so the next slide that came up said, who's going to participate? And the participation was a physician from each of the three big practices, all the residents, the department chiefs, the nurses, and some of the office, the hospital staff. And I'm going, oh, I unmuted myself and said, I see that there are no midwives involved. Is that an error? And he barked back at me. No, Kathy, it's not an error. We are not allowing midwives to participate in this audit. We are doing a deep dive into our midwifery program. I was shocked. I think I said a deep dive about what? And that was it. My time was over. The next day is when this midwife went before the medical executive committee. Um, and she actually thought that the hearing, she's not allowed to have anybody with her, no counsel, no support person. The bylaws allow them to uh, quiz her about what happened in my office. And so they did. And she came to my house for supper after. And, and she said, I feel really good about it. Um, the obstetricians who were there made sure that uh, the people in the audience um, from the committee who are not obstetric knew that this was a pre-viable gestation. They knew that there was nothing that could have changed the course. I got to say that I didn't have to have, you know, um, licensing or credentialing for ultrasound. So she was great. Wednesday morning comes and they call her back and told her, you're a horrible practitioner. You should never be allowed to participate at the hospital. You shouldn't be allowed to uh, take care of women. You're just horrible, horrible stuff. And um, so they told her, you will either resign from the medical staff yourself voluntarily, or we will do it for you, which is really not a choice, but there you go. So Kathy, what did they want her to do differently? Like, what, I don't they, they did, did they her. tell her anything that how could they call her a horrible practitioner? She, she did yeah. everything. I don't know. She was supposed to do. I really don't. When I tell this story, I always have people saying she must've done something else. There must be something more to it. There's not, there is nothing more to it other than she's either human and she missed heart tones on a baby, which I suppose could be possible, but she's got 20 years experience or the patient didn't believe she saw heart tones and the medical executive committee believed her and not the midwife with 20 years experience, which is actually what they said that she falsified records and, and they're sure that there were no heart tones. And I'm like, based on what you, anyway, it's like, it sounds like gaslighting. Oh yeah. Yeah. When it, it feels like a piece of a story is missing and that when there isn't a piece missing. Yeah. Which is exactly why we've hired counsel. We, we need some, um, we need help. How are you affording that? Um, we do have a GoFundMe page um, where it's uh, one of our patients started it for us. It has a small amount of money in it, which is fine. Um, the owners of the practice are two physicians who are very, very involved in making sure this midwifery practice goes well and, and carries on. They're the owners of the birth center for the last 25 years. Um, so they have a very invested interest in us succeeding. Um, so, so, so what are they saying with these doctors and this hospital administration? How's that conversation going between the, the obstetricians who own the birthing center and the hospital? Well, one obstetrician is a retired obstetrician. He does not have privileges at the hospital anymore. So I don't think they could care less what he says. Yeah. He's lost his power, his leverage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and the other obstetrician, um, she's very, very supportive, but she's not on the med exec committee and she really has very little influence over what goes on at these meetings and what happens. And the part that's even worse for me of all this is that I have since heard, and I can't give names because that would not be uh, real legit for me. 
uh, of doctors. I have one doctor come up and go, did she really just get let go for that? Because here's what I did in my office and nobody even blinked. And I've had at least three or four different physicians from the OB department come up and tell me um, it's impossible that they're letting her go just for that. It doesn't make sense. So it has to be that there is some targeted motive here to get rid of the midwives at the Danbury hospital. Uh, Are you guys the only midwives who practice at Danbury hospital? Yes. And is this something that is this something that you are noticing is a trend across the country? Is this happening to other birth centers specifically, or just midwives in general? I'm hearing it more and more. Um, I believe in Massachusetts, the Beverly Birthing Center, the North Shore Birthing Centers, both are hospital owned. So it's a little bit different, um, are in big danger of being shut down by the hospital because, you know, they don't make that much money. They're not that important to the community. Happily for us, our birthing center is privately owned and we service quite a few women. We also do a big GYN practice. Um, So we will stay in business, but to not have that continuity for the hospital, it's huge for me and in my practice and the, and the community. Yeah. I remember when I came to give birth there and I met you in 2004, Kathy, how reassuring that visit was. And one of my questions to you was, what happens if I need a, tr- a hospital transfer? I mean, I don't know if I would have felt I could make that decision to switch because I was so uninformed at the time. And I was so driven by fear and all the rhetoric that I had been exposed to in my life. And I was coming from such a high intervention doctor that had messed with my head so much. So I didn't know a lot back then. And I needed all the reassurances because I still perceived that as a very important part of the safety, but it is that plan B to have a doctor or a C-section sure. or the inter like we need that plan B there. And if plan B is, well, I put you in an ambulance and I have to bid you goodbye at the door of the ambulance. Mm-hmm. That's really scary because you develop a relationship with your midwives and you look at them and you start to feel safe with them and you envision your birth with them. And to, to think that there's any scenario where they will not be with you is, uh, is enough to make women opt out. Absolutely. We're not really seeing that yet, but of course, this is new that we're pulling out of the hospital, at least temporarily. Um, Our plan B, first of all, most birth centers do not have midwives who are privileged at their hospitals. And most home birth midwives are not privileged to hospitals. So there has to be some sort of a plan for us now. What are we going to do um, when we are unable to be at the hospital? And, you know, I said this earlier, the physicians, residents, and nurses that we work with Um, I think are very cognizant of the fact that these women are not looking for um, do this, do this, do this routine standard care. They're looking for choice. They're looking for options and they're looking for more holistic care. Um, But if they do get sent to the hospital for a reason, it's generally because something is not going according to plan. So if something's not going according to plan, you're probably going to have an intervention that maybe you didn't want in the beginning, but it may be something that's safer for you and for your baby. So no, I don't want to put a woman either in an ambulance or in her own car who, um, who who needs an intervention or wants an intervention that she didn't think that she wanted to send them without us. But that's going to be our plan at this point. Um, I know that you may or may not know, we do work fairly closely with the residents. We're teaching them all kinds of things. How do you somersault a baby through a cord instead of clamping and cutting it? Can we really deliver on our hands and knees? What's a lotus birth? Um, so we're we're helping get this whole new generation of physicians um, trained and not just the flat on your back with your knees pulled by your ears. So hopefully 
these um, these physicians and the attending physicians and the nurses will continue to treat our patients with care and dignity that that we do. And you're putting them in an ambulance and they're going across the street to Danbury Hospital where you are at risk of losing your rights. They're just going well, across. The we're street. not we're not at risk of losing our privileges. We I mean in the future we may be. We are going to voluntarily take our privileges on hold. So we're not getting kicked out of the hospital other than this one midwife. Um, I, because I think people don't understand that the reason we're not going to be there is by choice because one, we need to stand in solidarity with this midwife, but more importantly, I don't have enough staff um, to safely cover the birth center in the hospital. But that is a fear that they could remove the privileges in the future. That's a, sure. a big concern, isn't it? Okay. It is a very big concern. Yeah. Okay. So Kathy, can you speak a little bit to what your thoughts are on what is behind it? What is behind the hospital administration wanting to not have midwifery care under their roof? Yeah, I have a theory. I don't know if it's right because nobody will talk to me, despite the fact that I have tried talking to people in the administration a couple of months ago. And for the life of me, I can't remember who said it, it was probably uh, when I was a little bit tired, said, you know, we don't like some of the kinds of patients you bring here. Huh. Well, you you know that story, you know, yeah, oh my goodness. The more informed and empowered, the more of a problem they are, the less compliant they're likely to be. Right. That's the exact word. They they want a choice. So you broke your water. Um, I think that sometimes that upsets the administration that, well, the safest thing is to get an induction going. And that's not necessarily the only option for sure. And you all know that. Mm-hmm. Waiting until labor starts, um, giving time to go into labor or alternatives, and then even how to do an induction if it comes to that or how to. Well, the women who are coming in with choices and preferences and knowledge and empowered decision making complicate their policies and protocols because when a woman declines something, now they have to figure out how to chart differently and who's responsible and who's liable. And there's the word right there. Liable. liable. That's the word there. I believe that the administration, again, I don't know this for a fact. It's my hunch. I believe that they are just waiting for something that's liable to happen. Um, some baby gets septic. Some Something happens um, because they didn't intervene in the way that they felt that um, we should have intervened. But again, I don't know. I, I'll know maybe when they do the deep dive and they tell me what you know the results of the deep dive are. I think the thing that's so upsetting to so many of us who are really inside this industry, and I've been secondhand to a couple thousand births, so I'm not in the room like you are, which you have so much awareness and knowledge that I don't have at all, but I I have so much secondhand um, knowledge. And I have heard of extreme and severe obstetric abuse at any hospital in Connecticut or New York and some far beyond. And I could tell you a story where the first thought is, did that doctor lose their license? Um, and here we are having this conversation over, over this, it's like, it's not at all commensurate with how they're treating actual negligence and abuse. Absolutely. And we are not held to the same standard or the physicians, the physicians are held to the same standard that we're held to. It's, it's just crazy. And the, the really crazy thing is everyone knows globally midwifery care by default is safest. I mean, I, I mean, that's the first thing I teach my clients. I said it last weekend when I was teaching, I said, listen, you always have to hire the right provider, interview them. It's not to say every midwife on the planet is a better choice than every obstetrician on the planet. But if you are blindfolded and throwing a dart and you land on a midwife, your odds of having a safer birth outcome are much higher. 
That's just a reality. So what, where is this? I have this very uncomfortable feeling. Like before we started recording, I said, I have a feeling this is happening everywhere. And you said it is. I have a feeling that pharmaceutical is somehow behind this. They have the same lobby as the hospital lobby. Is there anything to that? I know they've established two lobbyists in every state in recent years. So many things are changing. So many rights are being removed. There's all these disturbing things happening. Like even here in Connecticut, our governor wants to pay someone $150,000 a year of, of course, taxpayer dollars to have a, a fact checker. It's like, yeah, sure. So that that's all the work of lobbyists. And you know who these fact checkers are. I mean, Reuters is a fact checker for many organizations. It's a name I used to trust. The Reuters is the CEO, is, a, is on the board of Pfizer. They're all connected. The media, the hospital lobby, pharmaceuticals. This is fact. My suspicion is just my suspicion that they're behind all this. What do you think about that? Where is this force coming from? And why is it happening all over the country or at the same time? Who's behind it? I really wish I knew. Um, I know Connecticut has a very, very strong um, hospital association. So I think you're right with that. And in my heart, I still think it's about money. And I think that there are a lot of administrators who are looking and going, wow, midwives at Danbury Hospital, we brought in uh, 278 patients last year. And we didn't deliver all of them because some ended up with a C-section, some ended up with uh, a vacuum or things that we weren't involved in. But they came to us, 278 women. Danbury Hospital, I believe, does about 22 to 2300 deliveries a year. We're over 10%. And the average has been 10% for a really long time. So I think when midwives start to have a larger piece of the pie, uh, you know, we got to get control. Well, not only are you taking their space, but you're also potentially making them more, more liable, bringing in these empowered women who are, you know, so it's to them, it's not it's like, well, we're just going to take that back so we can keep them under our foot and keep things controlled and make more money yeah, and, and reduce our liability. I mean, it, it really comes down to that. It has to. I think one of the toughest things about the, the clients they're complaining about coming in, the patients that they're complaining about, it, it's yes, liability if something goes wrong. But I happen to think, first of all, we can't ignore that egos are a big part of this industry. And when you have clients coming in who know their rights, because no American, no general American walking around, if they're not, if they don't work in healthcare like you guys do, if they don't work in litigation, most incredibly educated, otherwise educated Americans have no idea they have the right to informed consent. So when you finally get a client in there who turns down something, we can't ignore that a lot of doctors are like, the nerve of you, who do you think you are to say no right. to a routine IV? And I remember, Kathy, I've told this story about you that I once had a client who had twins and was going to birth at Yale. And I remember they, you know, you, you know how it is with twins. When a woman has twins, they terrify her every week of the pregnancy. Like, we hope you keep the babies in, keep the babies in, keep the babies sure. in. And the day she's 35 or 36 weeks, they're like, we got to get those babies out. So she doesn't have a moment of rest. And this client was so concerned about um, the pressure they were putting on her to induce her at 36 weeks and not quote, letting her go later. I remember saying, let me call Kathy and just see what they do at the birthing center. And without getting into um, your policy, I remember so distinctly you saying to me, well, this is what we recommend and this is why, but of course it's ultimately her choice. And it's like, ding, 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 ding. Like this isn't that complicated. You were clear about your recommendation. You were clear about why, mm -hmm. and you were clear it was her choice. It's always the woman's choice. 
always. It's just it, people don't see it that way because, well, what did ACOG just come out with? Um, don't coerce your patient. Oh, they did? Yeah. There's a statement. You have to look it up. It's about coercion. And, and honestly, it isn't that I see a lot of coercion because I really don't because these women are so informed that they don't need to be coerced. They need to know what are my safe options. I see a lot of coercion, of course. I'm sure you because, do. Because I see more obstetric work through my clients than you, because you are a provider who isn't doing that kind of work. Right. But there's but there's always a choice. Mm-hmm. There's always a choice. Even if it's not a choice that I appreciate, even if mm-hmm. it's not a choice I think is the safest thing, it's not my choice. Right. I'm sure you see that a lot too. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We do. We, we always say to women, you don't want to get hell bent on one course of action. And you must see the women who come in and they're hell bent. Sure. Right. And that's also difficult. It is. But you know, a piece of that, and I'm sure you guys see this as well, is the more trust that you gain with a family, with a woman and her family, and the more you talk to them about what do you really want out of this birth? um, Where do you want this to go? I know we're getting a little off track, but the reality is if you can gain that trust, then people really do listen to what you have to say and they feel more comfortable going, well, I didn't really want to do that. But now that I've talked about it with my midwife, with my provider, I feel like it's a better thing for us, or at least I understand why they're recommending something. That's that's absolutely true. I mean, it's not very often as a midwife, you're not in that situation very often where a woman is declining something that you know in your heart is the right thing they're agreeing with you and they're going along with it because they trust you. Right. And there's also ways to present things, but anyway, but that's where I think it's, it's really coming from. Did you have more to add about where this concerted effort is coming from? I wish I did. No, I really wish I did. Um, There is nobody who will talk to me, obviously now, especially that we have uh, counsel and. um, But are we seeing this elsewhere in the country? You were saying it is happening. What's, what do you know about that? Mostly about the birthing centers that are close to us. If you go onto the um, the AABC, the American Association of Birthing Centers, there's birth center after birth center listed as being closed down, closed down, closed down. Um, I don't know all the particulars about why other birth centers are being closed down, but I will tell you that the average life, um, from what I've heard, for a hospital-owned birth center is about four to six years. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. How is that possible? Well. So in the case of a privately owned independent birth center, you're not necessarily making the hospital money. You're, you're having your own, your not own practice. True, but not true though, because we bring them so many women from outside the service area of Danbury hospital. We have women and you, you guys both know this from Brooklyn, from New Haven, from Hartford, from Stamford, from Darien. They would never come up this way if it weren't for the midwifery practice. And not all of them want a birth center delivery. They've heard of our reputation. They're coming up because they want to deliver with us, even if it means it has to be in a hospital setting. So statistically- Or if they're high risk or if they're risked out. That's another population. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And statistically, birthing centers bring a hospital 5 to 10% increased revenue for their OBGYN department. Um, And I actually think it's more for us because we- yeah. So even if you're privately owned, that is- Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Plus we have referrals. We do a lot of GYN. So women who come to us for their OB care, a lot of them will continue to come for their GYN care. And occasionally they need a surgical consult, or there's an issue that a midwife can't handle easily in the office. And so they're making referral from, so yes, the answer is um, people are making money off of us and our patients. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's that so much. Um, 
I don't know. Well, what you said in the beginning there, it seems to be targeted something against midwives and against birth centers and against choice. That's it. And not only the midwives, but also over the patients, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. What do you want people to know? I want people to know that one, we won't stand for it. We're going to fight this to the bitter end. Um, We are part of the Danbury area, the greater Danbury area community. And we are not just going to go down, you know, going, sure, whatever you don't want us, we'll walk away. We have to pull out for right now, as we've talked about, but we're not terminating our privileges at the hospital. We are working very hard to get this midwife, her privileges back and come back full force. I want them to know that the more support that we have, we picketed a couple of times in the last month. Um, we've got a, um, a change.org page. I'm trying to remember all these. Uh, I'm old for the internet, but change. We'll link it. We'll link to it, Kathy. Don't worry Thank about you. that. Yeah, that kind of stuff. It speaks. People are hearing it. I'm hearing from patients who are you know, wanting to donate money, wanting to donate time. And those kinds of things mean a lot. I mean, we're still trying to run a very busy practice. So help is is always wonderful. The, the takeaway is so much that the the one population of professionals who's providing the safest and most satisfying birth outcomes to women is being targeted and threatened right now. That's exactly it, Cynthia. You just hit the nail right on the head. That's it. Well, it's like, welcome to America. We see this in so many different areas in so many ways. Yeah, it's, it's really it's sad. It's sad and it's infuriating mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. same time. It's no coincidence that it's happening at the same time that that same group of people, the, both the women and the midwives, are have grown in demand over the last two years. So it's no coincidence that this is coming at the same time that they are taking a stronger hold in the, of the market. Yeah, I agree with that. I really do. Well, that's why they came down so much on parents who do like alt, like partial vaccination or not vaccinating. As soon as that population got a little bit large, they crashed down on it. Um, and about it's 15 to 20 years ago, maybe over 20 years ago, they passed a law that no um, herbal or supplement company can claim to heal anyone from anything. They, they, Congress passed a law that they're not allowed to claim to heal anything. Only drugs can heal. I mean, there's there are really deep pocket forces behind these things. And it looks local when we hear the stories, but there are PR people behind this. There are deep pockets. There are politicians Mm -hmm. It's scary. And I guess where we are right now is awareness and advocacy for the rights of women and the providers who support them. I I believe that's true. And people should keep their ears and eyes open. This is, I think this is not the end of it. I think this is just the beginning. Thanks for joining us at the Down to Birth Show. You can reach us at Down to Birth Show on Instagram or email us at contact at downtobirthshow.com. All of Cynthia's classes and Trisha's breastfeeding services are held live, online, serving women and couples everywhere. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. For women who are planning the birth center, I would say still plan the birth center. You know, we have a very low transfer rate. If you're admitted to the birthing center in labor, you only have a 10% chance of not staying there and having your baby, which is nationally, it's about 14%. We're a little bit lower. 
I don't know why we've always been a little bit lower. I'm happy with that. Um, and we're, we're still thrilled to take care of people. If somebody ends up risking out either before, during, or after the labor, something happens, then the hospital is still right there. It's as close as you're ever going to get to, you know, being next to a facility that can take care of you. And I do think they provide wonderful care. The nursery is a level 2B, which is great for the women who've had trouble with, um, with infants, either from the birth center, which is pretty rare, or they deliver in the hospital. So it's a great facility and, and we're still open. We're still going to, I encourage people to, you know, think about their options. They can email me. They can come in for their visits and talk to a midwife. We're happy to give some extra time just to see what do they feel is going to be right for them.